Well, grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts, his acts being seven ages. That's William Shakespeare, uh, an excerpt from his pastoral comedy, As You Like It. And in it, uh, this monologue, All the World's a Stage, it would go on to describe those uh, seven acts or ages of man, uh, different seasons of life from birth to death, the parts of the play that we all take part in. Have you ever thought that your life felt like a play? Seeing out the different scenes of our lives. Now maybe our lives are building towards something. Like that rising action in the play. Or maybe life right now is just very chaotic uh, and, and hectic. Maybe you feel like you're in the climax of your story, kind of the, the point of greatest suspense in your life. Well, for some of us, maybe we're in the, the falling action, the, the resolution part of our lives. And, and if we're doing anything, we're just tying up loose ends. But whatever act or age you're in, I think you can relate to Shakespeare. I think he was right that life is like a play. It's, it's a story. But I think it's a much bigger story than we often realize. Well, to see that, we need to look no further today than the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and, and our text for today. And for the last six weeks, we've been working through uh, these two books of the Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, these books document the journey for the Israelites from their time in exile in Babylon back to the promised land, Jerusalem, where they come to rebuild and restore life there. And these books are also about real people. Uh, Nehemiah was the governor of Jerusalem formerly the cupbearer to the king of Persia. And he came back to Jerusalem in 445 BC uh, to help build the walls of the city. Ezra was already there. He, he'd gotten there about 13 years earlier in 458 uh, to do some spiritual rebuilding. And Ezra was a scribe. That's one skilled in the law which is the same word as Torah in Hebrew, right? That's the first five books of the Bible from Genesis through Deuteronomy. And in our text today, these two key leaders, Ezra and Nehemiah, they unite. They come together to tell the story. The temple in Jerusalem had been rebuilt. Uh, the walls were now raised up and the people had come together to celebrate this in worship. And can you imagine that as an Israelite, being one of them? 
seeing your, your hometown completely restored to its former glory after being devastated. Can you imagine how exciting it was for them to come together for, for worship as one community after all that they had been through together? They'd experienced grief and loss and destruction and lived through hardship and difficulty in exile as slaves. They hadn't worshipped like this for generations. Our pandemic separated us from worshiping like this for a number of months, a year and a few at most. But for these guys, they hadn't worshipped in a reconstructed Jerusalem for 140 years. See, that was their story. That was the backdrop to this momentous occasion we heard about in our text, this, this worship service. And their story was one of struggle and difficulty and despair. But it was also a story of their own making. It wasn't random chance that had led these people into exile. It wasn't fate that had determined their destruction. No, these people had created much of the chaos in their lives really by how they saw themselves in their story. Let me tell you what I mean. The Israelites treated themselves as if they were the main characters in their stories, as if the world revolved around them. They pursued whatever they wanted in the world, power, prestige, prophet, and they lived with God way out on the peripheries. He wasn't a main character in their story, not the way they lived it, not the way they saw it. He was off somewhere, distant, or probably not even paying attention to what they were doing. So they didn't bat an eye when they chose to live contrary to his word. They made excuses when they stepped on others for their own gain. Everyone else was doing it. And when they had that feeling deep down in their gut that what they were about to do was wrong, they just shoved it down and did what they wanted anyway because it was their life. This was their story. And they took it into their own hands. What about your story? How do you see yourself in your story? What is the point of your story, your life? What, what is it all aimed at? You know, I think oftentimes we get caught up in our own stories. We become... <laughs> preoccupied with the parts that we play, those ages that Shakespeare alluded to. For some of us, we can get locked into a kind of love story. Our aim is that one person that we feel 
so drawn to. The person that we, t- we tell ourselves, oh, if, if I just had them in my life, if we were together, then, then things would finally make sense. Then I could finally be happy. If, if we were together, then things would be perfect. We set our aim on them. We make them our ultimate aim and we pursue them with all we have. Maybe others of us are, are steeped in a kind of success story. You've been working hard, grinding, right? You're the first one that shows up to the shop or the office and the last one to leave. You've been burning the candle at both ends because you know that it takes hard work to get noticed. And you know that if you want to get anywhere in your organization, you're going to have to put in the hours. But if you do, it'll pay off. You'll finally have that position that you've been striving for. You'll you'll finally have that salary that you need. You'll finally get the respect that you know you deserve. You'll finally be somebody. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that a spouse or a successful career are bad things or things that we shouldn't go after in this life, that we shouldn't strive for. But when these things turn into the ultimate thing that we must have, when they become the whole point of the plot, everything that our story is directed to and aimed at, that's when they become dangerous. That's when they have the chance to bring our lives into rubble, into ruin, like the Israelites, like Jerusalem. And I'll tell you why. Those things can't bear that weight. That weight of significance that we place on them, they, they can't hold it. That person or that prestige, or that profit. Those things will never fully satisfy our souls, that thing deep down within us that is longing for real satisfaction in this life. Those things will never fully satisfy because our souls are longing for something bigger, a bigger story. Maybe you can think of a time in your life when you were chasing after something, just striving for it, and you actually, you actually got it, you actually held it in your hands. And then you discovered that it wasn't all it cracked up to be. That it was a kind of mirage, right? And, and, and it didn't live up to the expectations you placed upon it, and it, and it crushed you. Because when our stories when they get exposed for the delusions that they can be, it is crushing. And that's why they wept. The people in our text, that's why they were weeping. They wept when they heard the words of the law. 
Now remember that word law means Torah. It's, it's the first five books of the Bible. It's that story. When the people heard the words of the story, they wept. When they realized how they had been living, when they saw how flawed their stories were, when they were living like protagonists with, with God way out on the periphery, they wept. But God's word isn't solely meant for that purpose. God's word is not only meant to point out our flaws or to make us feel bad about how we have lived. God actually wants us to see the true way to soul satisfaction. He wants us to see the path to himself. You see, he is the thing that our souls are actually longing for. And he wants us to see past the mirages, to see through them and have revealed for us the actual story that we're living in. The one that he is actually authoring in your life. A story much bigger and much grander than so many of the dreams that we conjure up. And that's exactly what Ezra and Nehemiah do. They tell the story. I mentioned it at the beginning of service, but in chapter 9, I don't know if you had a chance to read it. In, in Nehemiah, we, we, we hear this amazing story. It's a condensed version of the grand narrative that God has been writing in the lives of his people. And in it, we see the main character. It's God. God himself. And we hear all the things that he has been working and doing in the lives of his people. You can read all about them in chapter 9, and I, I encourage you to do that when you go home today. But I have to share with you some of the things that God was up to in the lives of his people then and in the lives of his people today, even in your life. Nehemiah chapter 9, beginning at verse 6. God made. He created life. All of life, your life. And he preserved it day after day. God chose. He chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. And he has chosen you. Did you catch that in our reading from Ephesians? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he has chosen us in him. Before the foundation of the world, he chose us. And to be called what? Holy and blameless. Those are your names. How God sees you through the lens of Christ. He sees you as holy and and blameless. That's just the first few verses of chapter 9. There's so much more to this story. A God sees the affliction of his people, and he sees yours. 
God came down to them and led them and brought them out of their calamity. And what do you think God is trying to do in your life? And God gave. He gave them manna from heaven and water for their thirst and kingdoms and his own spirit he gave them to guide them and instruct them. Even when the people had stiffened their necks and turned from his ways, even when the people had erected for themselves a golden calf, turning something that is not God into a God, into that ultimate aim. Even when the people had ignored God's warnings and his attempts to turn them back to his law, his story, God did not make an end to them. He did not leave or forsake them, but he forgave them. That is the story. That is the story that you are a part of. It's a story of incredible grace and of continual redemption for those who are down and out. For those who are dissatisfied with what the world has offered them. It's a story of the greatest love ever shown where the protagonist fights against all odds, hurdles over every obstacle, even lays down his life for his greatest love for you. That's the story. And when you tap into this story, when you begin to see yourself as an object of God's love, instead of as the subject, always trying to earn it, when you see yourself connected to this grand narrative, the story that God has placed you into, then everything else starts to fall into place. You begin to see things a little more clearly. You begin to see the mirages for what they are. C.S. Lewis, the author of a number of stories uh, like the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, he's been quoted saying this, I believe in God as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. We want you to know this story so that you can see everything else, as Lewis put it. So that you can experience real satisfaction in your life and real joy. Just like those Israelites, they weren't left weeping, but they went out rejoicing greatly because they understood the story. And that's why this year, as Pastor Aaron mentioned, we're going to be going through the story. That is going to take up our, our ministry year, starting this rally day in a couple weeks and going all the way into the spring. Now, if you have ever found reading the Bible to be kind of a challenge, or, or if the plot line of the Bible is still kind of fuzzy, like Jesus, I get him, but the Old Testament is weird. You know, what's going on? The story is going to be super helpful for you. 
We're going to be walking through it all next year. It's going to pervade every area of our ministry, from our early learning center uh, to our Sunday school time, kids of all ages, even to confirmation in high school and adults, and to our life groups as well. Uh, like Aaron said, we have some uh, examples in the back, some books from the store you can check out on that table. Please go check them out. There's a sign-up sheet as well if you'd like to get plugged into a life group. Uh, that's a great way to walk through the story. It'll give you a chance to learn alongside others who also struggle with this whole Bible thing. You're not the only one. I struggle too. I'm in a life group. And then we see God working in the lives of our fellow groupmates and eventually in our life as well. We want you to see the story, to see Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf, that you have been written into this greatest story ever told. If Shakespeare was right, all the world's a stage. And when you understand your part to play, when you understand your role, and you will realize that you are more loved than you ever knew and that you are sent with more purpose than you ever could have imagined into this world. So let's watch the story unfold together. After next week, one more week, your homework for next week, if you've been with us tracking and reading Nehemiah, you need to finish the book. It's just one chapter. Read Nehemiah 13 for next week. Uh, go with the Lord. Go in his peace. Amen.